Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Stephen Dell. And I'm Rob Weinstock. And we are the co-chief medical editors of Cataract Refractive Surgery Today. We'd like to welcome you to the first episode of CRST, the podcast. We understand everyone consumes media differently these days, so this is another way for you to keep up with CRST. To kick off the series, we're going to share excerpts from the June issue, which recaps the drastic changes the ophthalmology specialty has endured during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's begin with Dr. Arthur Cummings from the Wellington Clinic in Ireland. Dr. Cummings wrote an article on premium IOLs in the post-COVID era. He anticipates greater demand for elective procedures such as premium lenses in the foreseeable future. Let's listen in as he outlines why that may be. Ophthalmologists who make a living from elective cataract surgery can try to recoup some of the inevitable losses of 2020's economic disaster by implanting more premium IOLs. Before going any further, let me preface my thoughts with this. The reason for offering presbyopic correcting IOLs should not be in the interest of the surgeon's financial needs, but rather in the interest of the patient. Always. More patient requests. It might be the optimist in me, but I have a sense that after the COVID-19 pandemic, patients will be requesting PCIOLs at a higher rate than ever. And if the uptake happens to help surgeons recoup some losses, both parties win. I think that PCIOLs will be in greater demand in the foreseeable future for the following reasons. Number one, screen time has increased. During the lockdown, individuals have increased their screen time, which has caused some people to become more irritated than before with both glasses and contact lenses. We hear this currently from our own patients. Number two, a reduced infection risk is appealing. People are more aware than ever of the infection risks posed by glasses and contact lenses. Contact lens wearers touch their faces and eyes more often than non-wearers, which we know is a risk for infection with pathogens including the coronavirus. The coronavirus can also remain viable on hard surfaces such as metal and glass for at least seven days, meaning glasses can behave as a vector if they are not frequently washed with soap and water. Further, once contact lenses and glasses are removed from the face, people have the tendency to rub their eyes. Simply put, at this juncture of the pandemic, people are hyper-aware of the benefits of having good vision without the need for prosthetic aids. Number three, face masks interfere with glasses wear. People are wearing face masks regularly for the first time, and glasses wearers especially are irritated by their lenses fogging up during mask use. Number four, you only live once. Many patients have a newfound sense of seizing the day. Some are saying to themselves, I should have had LASIK but was too busy, or I should have chosen multifocal RLs but I didn't. People are realizing that now might finally be the time to do what is in their best interests. Number five, disposable income may be available. Many of our potential patients have not taken salary cuts during the pandemic, especially those who can work from home or in the information technology sector. They are well paid and they have not been spending their money on fine dining or exotic vacations this year. These individuals are going to be more inclined to spend on themselves. Number six, 
Baby boomers who had LASIK 20 to 25 years ago are now entering cataract surgery age. These patients who had been delighted with their unaided vision before cataract formation will not tolerate wearing glasses after cataract surgery. Many are going to opt for either blended vision or multifocality. In a recent survey of 90 experienced cataract and refractive surgeons, most were happy with the performance of PCIOLs in eyes with previous keratorefractive refractive surgery. The mean upper limit for pre-LASIK hyperopia was approximately plus 3, and for myopia it was minus 6. Survey respondents noted several requirements for a good outcome with PCIOLs, including a good ocular surface, a regular cornea with few higher order aberrations, and patient's happiness after the initial LASIK. Poor prognostic factors included ocular dryness, high corneal aberrations, and dissatisfaction with the original laser vision procedure. Streamlined process. The clinic visit of the future also lends itself to an increase in the use of PCIOLs. I foresee that the typical two to two and a half hour visit in our clinic will be replaced by a streamlined multi-step process that allows more opportunity for patients to understand their options and the risks and benefits of those options. In the clinic visit model we used before the pandemic, it was possible that patients became overwhelmed with too much information in one visit. This might have led them to default to the simplest, most basic option, which is monofocal IOLs. In contrast, as I see it, the visit of the future will spread out the information we share with patients across three touch points. Touch point number one, the initial telemedicine consult. Before the patient's actual clinic visit, a staff member will facilitate a telemedicine consultation to explore the reasons the patient is seeking vision correction. This touch point can be valuable to the patient who is free to take time to digest the educational material presented during the consult. The staff member also informs the patient of the risks and benefits of all potential choices. Your team is integral to the success of this first touchpoint. Personalized and intelligent patient history forms can be emailed or texted to patients who then simply complete and submit them from their smartphones, tablets or computers. These forms are structured to determine all the patient's motivations and expectations, thereby greatly reducing the ophthalmologist's time required for this first step. Touchpoint number two, clinical examination, which with much of the education and counseling completed during a separate telemedicine consult and the intelligent history form, the clinical examination can be completed much more quickly than before. The purposes of this visit are simply to perform the eye exam and refraction and to obtain the required scans, example biometry, OCT, topography and tomography. Touchpoint number three, follow-up telemedicine consult. The third touch point is also done via telemedicine. In this follow-up consult, the patient can be in the clinic or at home. In the clinic, we have a dedicated room called the Zoom room where both parties can feel safe and connected given that touch point number two happened in person. In this consultation, examination results and scans are reviewed and the patient's IOL options are discussed. We use a visual behavior monitor from Vivior that the patient wears for 36 hours prior to the consultation to obtain objective visual data and the company's lifestyle match index to rank the available PCIOLs against the patient's personal defocus curve. 
This approach provides the most objective method to determine suitability and select the best RL for the patient. This discussion can be done remotely to show the patient his or her scans, demonstrate the IL selection process through the LMI software, and help the patient make a final decision. Necessity now, preferred method later. One day, the COVID-19 crisis will be over, and life will be more like it was before the pandemic. I believe that some of these strategies and systems we put in place to negotiate the immediate and recovery phases of the pandemic will stand the test of time to become our preferred ways of doing things when COVID-19 no longer rules. The way we educate patients about PCRLs should go beyond the simple less dependent on glasses line we often use. Today we explain to patients that wearing very focal glasses increases the odds of falling and breaking a hip or leg by 11%. Cost has always been proposed as a reason for low PCRL adoption rates. However, we have conducted multiple informal surveys and patients' willingness to pay. We have found from these surveys that they are willing to pay, especially when they understand the benefits and know that the most appropriate PCRL has been selected for them. Financially, a PCRL makes sense because it is a one-time cost. They cost 25 to 50% less than a state-of-the-art hearing aid that must be replaced or upgraded every few years. PCRLs represent excellent value. Conclusion. As strange as this might appear to the reader, during these challenging times and the subsequent economic storm that will endure, my prediction is that PCRLs will increase their market share in the post-COVID-19 future. This is such a fascinating article, and it's so interesting how different people have different perspectives in different parts of the world. I think we are all very hopeful that the premium channel will continue to blossom and we will weather this storm. Next, we'll hear from Dr. Malik Kahuk from the University of Colorado School of Medicine about pearls and best practices for virtual eye care. It is hard to believe that a short few months ago, we were conducting business as usual. In early March, with the number of COVID-19 positive cases climbing precipitously in Colorado and an executive order by the governor to stop routine and elective patient care, we were suddenly facing a 90% drop in our clinic and surgical volume. The changes to CMS telehealth policy announced on March 6th were potential game changers, but they have also resulted in a race to understand and implement those changes. In our practice, harnessing virtual health capabilities has helped us to provide care to many of our patients. Telehealth will be a tool that can be carried on far beyond COVID-19. Knowledge Share We want to share some of the teleophthalmology pearls and practices that we have implemented and found to be helpful. Pearl number one, designate a team to lead your efforts. If you run a solo practice, that team may be you, or you and your practice manager. If you are in a multi-specialty group or a large academic institution as we are, it is best to task a small team to lead your virtual health efforts. Your virtual health team should check daily for relevant changes to federal, state, institutional, and payer virtual health policies, and regularly update the rest of your group. In our department, a group of four leads these efforts. 
key updates are emailed and cached on a shared drive that was established to hold all documents and communications related to departmental COVID-19 information. Our team includes super users, our medical director, and our practice administrator, and it oversees dedicated staff who serve as a resource to troubleshoot issues that arise. Pearl number two, know which telehealth visits can be used in ophthalmology and how. E-visits may include video and telephone visits, image reviews, and online communication. Table one presents details about the types of visits allowed and their associated codes. Further information on this table can be found on crstoday.com. A first step is to identify which kinds of visits are appropriate for video and telephone virtual health. We tasked each division within the department to put together a list of patient diagnoses that would be appropriate for virtual health visits. The lists they generated included, for example, post-operative visits, external or adnexal evaluations, and complaints of red eyes. You must also establish a virtual health workflow for urgent patient calls. Ours are now first triaged by a resident with attending oversight, then preferentially scheduled into a virtual health slot when appropriate. Establish a protocol for staff members to verify that patients can participate in a virtual health visit. For example, for video visits, patients must have a private location they can be seen in during the appointment, and they must have access to a device that has a camera and microphone. Pearl number three, leverage virtual health to expand the patient population while minimizing face-to-face -face contact. Ways to minimize contact include sending patients a vision testing chart and instructions ahead of their virtual visit via regular mail, secured email, or communication through your electronic health record. Great printable and mobile-friendly charts are available from the AAO and at the website farsight.care. Similarly, for evaluations of lesions, periocular problems, or red eyes, and for select post-operative evaluations, eyelid surgery, Mohs repair, you can ask patients to send a close-up photograph to you ahead of time using a secure patient communication service. Another way to minimize face-to-face -face contact is to institute hybrid virtual health diagnostic visits. For certain time-sensitive visits, some elements of the examination must be performed in person, whereas the remainder of the visit can be conducted virtually. Therefore, we identified low-volume satellite locations where necessary diagnostic imaging or an IOP check could be performed. The patient would then return home and a subsequent virtual health visit would be completed with the provider. A modified version of the hybrid visit can be used in the clinic setting. For example, all examination elements could be performed as per normal, but then the provider would step out of the examination room and complete counseling over a video system to limit the amount of time spent in close proximity to the patient. We have also instituted drive-up IOP checks to maintain regular management of our glaucoma patients. Pearl number four, choose a video platform to use and one or two backups. Our university-based hospital chose the Video Connect video conferencing system, which we use in conjunction with our Epic electronic health record system. This service allows screen sharing so that we can show the patient test or imaging results. 
and it provides a whiteboard for freehand illustrations to supplement our ability to communicate with patients. Be prepared to use a backup platform because one may work better than another for your patients. Other similar systems include Doximity, Skype Microsoft, FaceTime from Apple, Doxy.me from Doxy.me, and Zoom from Zoom Video Communications. Keep in mind that for all these, your device and your patient's device must have a camera, microphone, and speaker. HIPAA compliance rules are currently relaxed, but that may change after the COVID-19 crisis abates. Refer to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services COVID-19 website and note that most recent guidance from the HHS Office of Civil Rights regarding HIPAA and telehealth from March 20th, which states, Office of Civil Rights is exercising its enforcement discretion to not impose penalties for HIPAA violations against healthcare providers in connection with their good faith provision of telehealth using communication technologies during the COVID-19 nationwide public health emergency. Pearl number five, get help. If you have the luxury, it is worth having someone, medical assistant, technician, front desk staff member on standby to help your visits go more smoothly by scheduling virtual health appointments, calling the patient the day before their visit to pre-chart items such as history of present illness, reconciliation of medications, and allergy documentation to obtain consent and to ensure that all documentation is in place. Troubleshooting technology issues with the patient before and during calls, rooming the patient, scribing for your visit, or providing medical interpretation, and scheduling follow-up appointments. We have also reintroduced trainee involvement in a virtual capacity to capture safe educational opportunities. Pearl number six, know your billing. Table number two, which can be found at crstoday.com, gives our estimated CMS reimbursement matrix. Pearl number seven, if your patient is out of state, verify that you can see him or her. States have different rules around this, so make sure you check each time. Our hospital's virtual health command team took the lead on finding out what states allow us to conduct and bill for virtual visits. As of mid-April, nine states outside of Colorado allow Colorado licensed providers to conduct virtual health visits with varying levels of restrictions. If you cannot legally see a patient who is out of state, you may still be able to perform a consultation with a provider located in the state, for example, an urgent care provider seeing your patient, who can then administer care or treatment. Pearl number eight, plan for post-COVID-19 life. Evaluate what virtual health is doing for your practice. Are there protocols and workflows that you have been forced to change that are now more efficient? Look at your productivity metrics pre-lockdown versus during this pandemic. How much of your previous volume are you capturing? What is the expected revenue? What parts of your practice might be amenable to keeping on some version of virtual health should reimbursement for these types of visits be retained by payers? At our institution, we collect data daily and analyze it weekly. Give your practice a hard look now to best plan for your future. Pearl number nine, know your resources. Beyond our internal hospital communications, we check these sites regularly for updates. These include the AAO, CMS, 
and HHS website links that can be found on crstoday.com. Thank you for that great article, Dr. Kahook. As we continue to learn and grow during these uncertain times, CRST the podcast can help keep you updated on the go about changing needs of our specialty. Tune in for the next episode as we kick off the Back to Practice mini-series with a rotating group of our peers who will share what they've learned about returning to practice safely and effectively during the COVID-19 pandemic.